This is the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE, where we talk about inclusive education, why it works, and how to make it happen. On today's episode, we welcome our guest, Bonnie Rubin Sugarman. Bonnie is a retired educator, a former director of special education, and is currently an inclusive education consultant with NJCIE. During our conversation today, we will discuss the involvement of inclusive education and what motivates Bonnie to continue her passion of bringing more inclusive schools to the state of New Jersey. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. I am your host, Arthur Aston, and I am happy to welcome my guest to the podcast today, Bonnie Rubin Sugarman. So Bonnie, thank you for joining me today for this episode. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, um, you and I, I, I've said this a lot this season, but you and I met over the summer. Uh, at the NJCIE conference, and um, you know, it was it was great to meet you in person and to hear a little bit about your story um, when we met at the uh, dinner that night. And um, I'm really excited for you to share uh, your story with everyone here on the podcast today. It's wonderful to be here. Yes. So, can um, to get started, can you just share with us a little bit about yourself and tell us who is Bonnie? Yeah. So I am, I'm Bonnie Ribbon Sugarman. I'm a, a wife, a mother, a stepmother, a bubby, which is a very important role in my world. Um, and uh, in addition to that, a very new golfer and a lifelong educator. Um, I began my career as a general education teacher uh, way back when, and we'll probably talk about that, and then became a special education teacher. I was a learning disabilities teacher consultant on a child study team for several years. I've done pre-referral intervention for a number of years at the elementary and at the middle school level. And I was the director of special education in two New Jersey school districts. Um, I retired from my full-time work in 2014 and have been a consultant for the NJCIE for, since 2014 and have probably been with the organization for about 25 years. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Um, I love that you said you're a new golfer and a puppy. That's really great. <laughs> I, Yes, yes, definitely. I, um, I guess it was over in the in the spring, I went to, uh, you know, not golfing, real golfing, but to top golf. And they are, um, they're very accessible there for as a person being a wheelchair user, I, I found them to be very accessible and uh, very knowledgeable, the people that we were uh, paired with to uh, help us out, they were very helpful with me of uh, showing me how to use the clubs and everything from my wheelchair from a seated position. So uh, I've definitely taken a, a liking to uh, to that that style of golf. 
That's a place I have to go. I have not been there yet. So it's, it's on the list. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's a lot of fun. We uh, went for I went for somebody's birthday and uh, you know tried it out and it was it was really great. So that made me when you said golfing, it made me think of that. <laughs> so as you mentioned, you um, you've been a, an educator, a lifelong educator, uh, which is really great. Um, can you just share with us how did inclusive education become a personal goal for you? Well, um, thank, thank you for asking that question because um, it actually started, believe it or not, soon after I started teaching. Um, I started teaching in 1974 and I was an elementary teacher at, in Montgomery County, Maryland. And as you well know, in 1975, things started to change dramatically um, with the uh, inception of the um, Education for All Handicapped Children Act, which was obviously the forerunner of IDEA. Um, and in my school in Montgomery County, Maryland, um, that was taken very seriously. Uh, I taught in a team taught multi-age setting with another general education teacher. Um, so we had the classroom setting, it was actually three classrooms with the walls opened and a multi-age group, first and second grade. And this school encouraged these multi-age classes, team teaching, open space classroom, creative strategies, small group instruction, and collaboration. All the underpinnings of what good inclusive practice looks like. Um, I had a remarkable principal who was way ahead of his time. As a result of this, after the federal law changed, we had many children who would leave our classroom and go to a resource room for things like, you know, for subjects like reading and language arts and, and math and that kind of thing. And our resource room or a special education teacher informed us that now she could come into the classroom. And we thought, oh my goodness, this is wonderful. So now we have another professional in the classroom with the children that certainly she was working with. And she was able to have small group instruction with not only the children that she was taking out, but children in our classroom who benefited from the strategies that she had in her arsenal that we didn't. So when you think about that, not only, and again, this is 1975, not only did the children benefit, did our students benefit from what she brought into the classroom as a special educator, but we benefited as well. Um, and, you know, at that point, we were in the right place at the right time. Now we know we were doing the right thing. And, you know, Arthur, we were building the plane as we were flying it. We were trying to figure out for ourselves and for our class and for our students what would work best. You know, there was no training, there was no roadmap, but we knew 
in our heart of hearts that this had significant benefits to everybody involved. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, these ladies that I started working with in 1974 and 1975 continue to be my dearest friends in the world today. So that, that was an added benefit. That's great. Um, <laughs> I, I love that it started so long ago for you. Um, you know, like right away when you, you know, started teaching, it was like that that's really great to hear. And I love that you said how everybody benefited, not just the students, but also the other educators in the room benefited from the special education teacher coming in. And um, it's it's interesting to me because, um, you know, every student learns differently. So, you know, the way that you may have been teaching something, a student in your class might not have picked up on, you know, the material, but having that additional person come in and show a different way and they say like, oh, wow, I get it. <laughs> you know, that always is um, is very helpful. I, I always think that, uh, like you said, everybody benefits from it. So that's uh, a really good thing to hear and to hear that it started for you back in 1975. That's really, it's really great. <laughs> yeah. And it also gave us the opportunity to reinforce. We're with those students all day. Our special educator came in certainly at various times in the day. And just through watching those strategies, we were able to reinforce what worked for those students, certainly students with IEPs at the time, but also our other students. So it was such a win-win. Yes, yeah, <laughs> a win-win for everybody. That's always, uh, it's great when it works out that way. <laughs> yes, so. it does. <laughs> Um, so can you, um, I, I want to, uh, I guess, talk about the, the changes that you have seen um, being an educator for so long. How has teaching and the state of inclusion changed over the time since you began um, up through the present or, or uh, to when you retired? Yeah, um, yeah I see those you know, as, as in, to a certain extent, um, they, are, they are separate, but also that they're, you know, the strategies, the teaching strategies and inclusive practice, you know, certainly go hand in hand. Um, as far as teaching is concerned, there, there are probably three things that come to mind that have changed dramatically, um, I think, over the years. Um, the first is technology. You know, I think we would all agree that technology is a standout in terms of educational practice. Um, when used well, and that's, you know, the operative term, when used well, it's it's such an incredible tool that supports learning needs for all students. Certainly students with disabilities benefit significantly um, from technology. And, and that includes areas like individualizing instruction, you know, a whole host of way of accommodating our students and certainly communication. 
So it, it has become, and, and this is, you know, certainly we learned a lot, you know, during the pandemic, but of what we're capable of. And I see such tremendous differences in the use of technology um, now than I even saw pre-pandemic, least skilled at using technology to advance their, their students' um, uh, achievement. So that's probably the first one. The second area that I think is vitally important is UDL, Universal Design for Learning, which is certainly didn't exist, you know, when I started teaching. But as a planning tool, when used well as a planning tool, um, it just enables teachers to, to meet the needs of a significantly diverse population. And that is in how instruction is delivered in areas of delivery, as well as in areas of um, how students can demonstrate their learning. Um, so I think that's uh, the second most, a uh, second important change. Um, and then also the importance of data collection. That wasn't something that, you know, was used well or universally necessarily, you know, certainly when I started teaching. Um, and how data collection informs teaching and um, individual student progress. You, you, can't, you can't measure anything objectively, obviously, without good data collection. And I think teachers, um, and certainly in their pre-service training, um, that's emphasized in so many areas. So that's been, um, those have been three major changes, I think, in terms of teaching. And then um, in terms of inclusion, whew, that's a big, you know, I, I was, when I was thinking about this, I was gonna say, you know, they, they, they write books about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I've been, I've been teaching in New Jersey since 1989. So that's kind of, um, that's, that's a while as well. Um, and although I, I'm an optimist by nature, I really am, um, as far as inclusion is concerned, um, I think many districts that I've worked in and that um, I continue to uh, be part of have made significant gains in inclusion, so that's a good thing, um, but I also think that as far as we're concerned in New Jersey, we have we have a way to go. And, and our data supports that. Um, so it's reflected in our data. And, um, you know, there are areas that create pretty significant um, challenge for for districts and for schools. Um, what I see is students with learning disabilities, students with ADHD, ADD, um, and even, um, you know, speech and language needs um, are certainly included at a much higher rate than students, say, with intellectual disabilities or autism, um, and certainly behavioral needs. They, um, 
you know, unfortunately, in many cases where you have students with more included, it, it's a, as a result of a, um, a, 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 an administrative law judge um, or a, a parents who have been very insistent on having their children included. And my experience has been um, that sometimes we are there as consultants um, with NJCIE uh, because of that. So, um, you know, that I think that we, although we have come a long way, um, there, there's work to be done when it comes to inclusive practice more universally. In, uh, so well said. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I'm 40 years old now. I'll be 41 uh, next week, actually. And um, thank you. Happy almost birthday. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so to to hear what you were saying about the changes in education with technology um, and UDL and, and those things coming, um, you know, happening over time, it's, uh, you know, it's really been great to see. And as you mentioned during the pandemic, um, you know, seeing the, the capabilities and uh, what we are able to achieve with technology when it works correctly, um, <laughs> when it's used correctly, has, uh, you know, it's really been great. And it's really been great for um, people with disabilities and students with disabilities to be able to use the uh, technology uh, for education purposes and uh, to really, um, I guess to really, you know, be able to succeed using uh, technology that is available to them. So, uh, and and I think you know, just to piggyback on what you're saying, it's about access. Mm -hmm. And for some of our students, um, the technology has provided significant access to that general education curriculum that, at you know, certainly years and years ago we didn't have and we didn't have universally. I think what's, uh, in addition to what we just talked about, I think the most, one of, an additional area um, that's changed significantly is parent involvement. And not only the individual student process and how important that involvement is and how more consistent parent involvement is, but also parents having a voice in their district practices when it comes to special education and inclusion through their CPAC committees. Mm -hmm. Having had that experience as a director, as that those CPAC committees were evolving was an, an incredibly positive experience for me. And I would like to think added greatly to how we approached inclusion and other areas of special education need in the district. Yeah, that was, a, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a really good, good addition uh, to mention for sure. Um, 
so we've we've talked about the um, benefits of inclusion and uh, how everyone is, uh, you know, benefited positively from uh, inclusion. But can you share with us uh, what are some of the things that make inclusion challenging to achieve? I think that um, the first thing and the most significant thing that I continue to see. Um, in many of the districts that I've worked in is overcoming a belief that a more restrictive environment provides greater academic benefit. And first of all, that's a myth. <laughs> and it continues to be, it, it, it continues to, to um, be, something that people talk about, professionals talk about, parents talk about, students talk about, and there isn't any real basis or data that supports that idea um, because it's not. Um, I've observed students, and this is an interesting phenomenon. I have observed it, students in general education classes and then observed the same student in say a more restrictive environment or resource center classroom. And quite honestly, other than the fact that I can identify that it is the same student there are so many aspects of the student's behavior, the student's engagement, the student's motivation that is so different in a more restrictive setting. And when I talk about this to, um, you know, whether it be parents or whether it be, um, you know, administrators, it, it's still people st and teachers, people still believe that the opportunities for that student are greater in the more restrictive environment. So I think that's one of, one of the issues that probably um, are on top of that, that question of what is challenging for us uh, in terms of moving forward in inclusion. So. That's the first one. I think the second one I would, I would wanna to talk to you about is the rationale for removal in IEPs, which is a, a significant conversation at IEP meetings as to why we need to re remove this student in order for this student to benefit from this educational and in many schools and in many districts, if you look at the rationale for removal, they're basically the same. If people talk about the same issues, pacing, they talk about small class size, they talk about repetition, the need for modifications and significant accommodations. And when you really drill that down, you as, those are areas of need that can be and should be supported 
in a general education classroom. Um, we've talked about special education being services, a group of services that are provided for a student, not necessarily in a place. Um, and I think that that's a reoccurring theme um, for many of our students. Um, you know, I, I sometimes say lower and slower doesn't mean better. And sometimes um, it's, it's more than um, not conducive to educational progress for our students. Um, and I guess number three, um, which I'm finding is a huge issue in many of our secondary schools, especially at the high school level, and that's how to design and implement curricular modifications for students. Um, that area seems to be uh, that a, a, a continuing source of challenge um, for teachers and, and certainly for our administrators. Um, when, that's, when that area is consistently um, implemented, and I'm speaking to curriculum modification, what happens is for those students, those modifications lead to more appropriate um, kind of um, assignments, whether that be classroom assignments, homework assignments, and then assessments, and then grades. They're all linked. So when modifications are provided and they're provided appropriately, everything else kind of falls into place in a more consistent way uh, for our students. So I think that's probably the third area that I would emphasize. You shared that, um, you know, again, you've been doing this work for so long and um, you, you've seen a lot of um, changes take place and specifically in one of the districts you worked in in Haddonfield. Um, can you share what do you see as a critical component for more inclusive practices uh, to happen as it did in districts like Haddonfield? Um, well, I, I, I want to preface this by saying I was very fortunate um, when I joined the Haddonfield administrative team. And when I say fortunate, um, they had, there was an inclusive mindset in Haddonfield. However, we needed to um, continue to enhance that. Um, and I think that for me as a director, Haddonfield was a good match. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Um, so what are critical components? You know, I think philosophy and leadership are, are up, you know, right up there. Um, and communication, um, communication with all stakeholders, that's certainly parents, teachers, staff, administrative colleagues, um, those ongoing conversations 
about where we are and where we're going. Um, the next thing that I think is critical within that context of communication is identifying barriers. What is getting in the way of more inclusive practice in your school district? And I've, I ask that question as, as a consultant. I ask it in schools and then I ask it in a broader sense in a school district. It's so important for us to try to identify what's getting in the way. And through conversations like what's working here? You know, what, what are we doing that works for our students when it comes to inclusive practice? I'm an optimist by nature. I love to start with that question and let's get as many of the things that work up on, you know, on a chart or let's talk about it. Let's celebrate what we do well. On the flip side of that, let's identify what's getting in the way. You know, and if hopefully our what's getting in the way list is shorter than our celebration list, but I think it's important for all of us to agree that these areas or these elements get in the way of us moving forward. Once we have identified those areas, then I think what follows in a very consistent way is training and support. You know, once we've identified it, let's do our best to provide more support to whatever group of individuals requires that support from us as administrators. Um, and that could be positive behavioral supports. It could be technology. It could be curricular, mo curricular modifications. You know, so many of the things that we've just talked about and co-teaching. Um, so once those are identified and we implement this um, professional development and continue, it's not just one and done, and continue to provide support in those areas to our teachers and, that's, and our staff members. And that's through brainstorming, communication, um, availability, whether it be our child study teams, our case managers, myself as a director, that ongoing support and, and the notion that I'm in this with you. If I were to talk about a message that I hope I gave to the folks I worked with, we're in this together. And you know that's the kind of thing that I think is vitally important when it comes to, you know, certainly moving forward. Um, the other thing is hiring practices. You know, as, as districts, whether we do this in small groups and larger groups, depending upon, um, you know, the, the need and, and uh, the, uh, the, the staff member that needs to be employed, I think that notion of inclus an inclusive mindset is important. Somehow that has to be part of the, um, the process 
of hiring, the questioning, the, uh, the interview uh, has to include the priority that the district has set in terms of inclusion. Um, and then, you know, Arthur, the, the last thing I would say is stay the course. <laughs> it can be a bumpy road. <laughs> so this is not necessarily, you know, a straight shot to where you're going. Um, and, you know, there's ebbs and flows and, you know, we're, we're going to be taking some side trips <laughs> and having some hard conversations. Um, and those districts that have been the most successful that I've had an opportunity to work with um, have been those districts who have stayed the course during some pretty hard conversations. So. Yeah, I, I think what you said is so true. It's, it's especially that last part. It's not, it's not going to be easy all the time and there are going to be bumps and detours you have to make, but to, to remain uh, focused on, on that goal and uh, communication. I love when you said that as well. That was, uh, it's so true and, and acknowledging what you're doing right and, you know, working on the things that you're not doing so well. And, um, it's yeah that that's all um really important and i i think what struck me the most and in, in what you said was it's like every everybody is in this together you even as uh the role you had as a director like you're you're working this with everybody and um you know that's important for everybody that's involved to know that they have a leader uh you know who supports them and and is uh, dedicated to reaching uh, the in inclusion goal and, uh, you know, just sticking with it until you, till you get there. <laughs> you know, thank you. Thank you for, for saying that. And when I look back on my, my career, you know, from the time I was a teacher in, in the seventies, there have been instances where the, including that student, whether it be in the classroom, in a special subject area, or an after-school activity has become the focus of a great many people in order to have that child be successful. Um, I remember, you know, we had one student, um, and if I'm remembering this correctly, I, at the time, uh, the student was a middle school student and um, he had more significant needs and he was a runner. Okay? And he, he and his dad, um, you know, uh, ran at home and, you know, through the community and um, he loved it. And he wanted to be on the track team and run with his, um, his you know, certainly uh, with his peers. And what we were able to set up for him, a group of us, and this was case manager, principal, it was myself as, a, as the director, we actually got on a schedule because the student didn't have support. Uh, in, in order to support that student need, I shouldn't say didn't have support because he did, 
but he didn't necessarily have somebody who could run with him. <laughs> so we got together and talked about how could we support his need and be there to support him and the team through running. And we had a, actually we're on a schedule to run with the track team through the community, um, you know, when they were practicing. So, you know, for us, that was, uh, that was one of the, the highlights. And when I look back at this, I said, oh my, I say to myself, how wonderful it was for us to have had the opportunity um, to do that with him. Wow, that's a great story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it is, it's one of those things that you, you recognize something that the student liked and you said, okay, how can we, how can we all become a part of this and make this happen for that student, um, you know, to make things better for them and, and you made it happen. Wow. <laughs> that's really great. Um, <laughs> Fun. So we kept us all running. Yes. Yeah. Keep, get, got everybody active, right? <laughs> that's, that's another win-win. Yes. <laughs> so um, to wrap up our conversation, it, it really ties into um, the last thing that you said there where, um, you know, reaching the inclusion goal is not always a straight path and you have to go uh, take some detours and there's some bumps and, and things in the road. And you have been at this uh, inclusive education uh, as your as your passion, as your career for over 40 years. What drives you to continue? You know something, Arthur? The same thing that drove me in the beginning, you know, the as a, in the beginning, you know, the <laughs> genesis of all of this. Um, and that was what we, and I, I say we, because I, I think I have always been a we, um, those educational, those social, those community benefits to our students, our students and to our school community and to our staff. That's, you know, honestly, um, that's the home run. That has always been the home run. I have had teachers say to me, he or she, meaning the student, has made me a better teacher. I still get goosebumps when I see that. And honestly, you know, when a teacher says that to me. And in many cases, I have worked with teachers who have not had any experience with students who have a particular disability. They don't, they don't have family members. They've not had a, a student who has had this particular need throughout their career. I think to a great extent, um, there's some fear. Um, am I going to be able to do this? And when they discover that how effective, how incredibly effective they are, because why? They're effective teachers. 
And they become more effective teachers because they have students who have um, greater need. So that keeps me drive, you know, that, that keeps me going with all of this. And, and you know something at the end of the day, Arthur, the great joy, number one, the joy and the professional and personal um, benefit that my profession has brought to me um, as a person, I, I will always be grateful for. I will always be grateful for this. And I've said to my own children, I hope you find that passion in the work that you do. Um, I have been very fortunate to have found that in the work that I do. And that is why I continue to do it. And um, I am so grateful to be able to be part of the NJCIE community um, and be able to continue this work that um, we started all those many years ago. <laughs> I love that you said it, it brings you joy. Like that is, um, I think that's what we all aim for in life to find something, uh, you know, that we do for a living and to, to make a living and, and, but it brings us joy. I think that is uh, something we all should uh, strive for. And that is uh, great. And I think that is a great way to, um, to wrap up our conversation today. So Bonnie, thank you so much for uh, joining me today uh, for this conversation and to share your journey of, um, working in the world of inclusive education and for the change that you are helping to make. Uh, even now as a retired educator, you're still <laughs> working in the field and uh, consulting. So uh, thank you so much for the work that you do and uh, for taking the time today to join me for this episode of the podcast. Uh, Arthur, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Yes, so you take care. <laughs> we thank you for listening to this episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time. <laughs>